Hey you, welcome to Taylor's Shapers of Influence podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and things that, well, influence us. We'll dissect the integrated worlds of marketing, pop culture, and everything in between, from fashion to sports to entertainment. We're not only creating conversations, we're leading them too. Join us. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Taylor's Shapers of Influence podcast. I'm an account director here at Taylor, and I'm so excited to have this discussion today. Here with me, I have Nisa Warren, another um, colleague here at Taylor, but more than a colleague, she's a friend, um, my mentee, my work wife, you name it. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad to talk to everyone about our Hold the Press initiative. Uh, Nisa, what's up? How are you? Hey, hey, y'all. I'm doing good. Um, I can go ahead and, and just, you know, give a little bit of background on our Hold the Press initiative. So, you know, we started Hold the Press because over just the last month or so, we've just noticed that PR agencies have been posting these tone deaf and, and quite frankly, out of touch messages on their social media channels um, as a sign of solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And so as the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey began to jolt so many into protests, um, it really brought an unshakable pain to the Black community, and we really wanted to shed light on what those statements truly personify. Um, so those statements really just appear as, as inauthentic and, and disingenuous, as many of these PR agencies really don't uplift the voices, they don't promote, and they don't hire enough Black women and men, um, leading to Black people having to create our own tables and, and promote our own voices in our own agencies. And so um, with that, we looked into the Harvard Business Review's analysis of um, federal labor statistics, and we found, not surprisingly, that the PR industry is about 89.7% white, 8.3% Black, 2.6% Asian, and 5.7% Hispanic or Latinx. Um, And these stats are just mind-blowing, and and they leave little to no room for upward growth in roles, and, and we see less and less Black people at senior and executive positions. And Wait, so with Lisa, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna cut you off real quick. And I, I want you to spit those stats at me again, because while I expected them to be disproportionate, I just didn't expect them to be what they were. So, so tell the people again, what the stats are for the PR industry. They are 89.7% white. So 90, 90%. <laughs> Pretty much all. 8.3% black. Asian and 5.7% Hispanic or Latinx. And, you know, as, as we're working in this industry and we're creating these campaigns for our clients, a lot of times we're reaching or looking to reach an audience um, of, of POC and minority people, but it's very obviously not reflected in the industry that we're working in. And so those aren't the voices that are speaking to the people that they're trying to talk to. Um, And so with this, we, we have these asks that we want to present to um, agencies across the industry, and those are for their organizational diversity breakdowns. So with that, we want to find their current number of employees who are Black and their number of employees who are POC um, in executive roles, and, and we really want to emphasize that those numbers must be separate. Um, a lot of times people will lump those together, and you know, though we are minorities, we don't all have the, ex- the same experience. Um, and then uh, also we want to look into the number of client accounts that are black owned and the number of accounts that are POC owned and, and the same. We want to make sure those numbers are separated. Um, and then with that, once we get those numbers, we want to see their action plans on moving forward to propel black and POC um, in the office. 
So. Cool. So I'm going to um, dig into those asks just a little bit. Um, we know that once we get these organizational diversity back breakdowns, we're going to be um, probably disappointed, but not surprised, right? But I think it's important, um, the second point you made about the current number of employees who are in executive roles. Um, so often, when we look at senior leadership in the C-suite, it's filled with white men and women, typically more white men than women. And um, if there is a black person um, or a person of color, they are the chief diversity officer. Um, and I know Nisa, we've talked a lot about this, but for me, um, I, I'm an account director, as I mentioned earlier. And um, while I love diversity, it's a huge passion of mine. It's not um, an area where I want to I don't want to do it for nine to five day in day out you know like I, I i do a lot in that area and so for me where i kind of struggle or where or where i'm i'm always looking for more representation which i know we're going to talk about a little bit later on um is in the c-suite like i want to see someone who is working on the business side the client side making money for the company and not just just working on diversity issues that looks like me and I've never seen it. I've never had it, never seen it, been in PR for 10 years. And um, I hope one day to be there so that I can be the representation for someone. But I think it's important um, when we talk about in executive roles that we, we're not talking about your chief diversity officer. We want to see a president that looks like us. We want to see a CEO, a CMO, you know, a CFO, that is a black person. So um, I just wanted to make that distinction there as far as the ask. I think the four asks are pretty clear. If you want to see them, please visit our website. It's www.holdthe-press.com. We're also um, soliciting signatures um, and we are going out to um, media with these, uh, sorry, not media. We're going out to agencies, um, 20 global agencies, 20 mid-sized agencies and 20 small agencies with these demands, um, or with these asks, sorry. So um, moving on to the demands, um, Nisa, do you wanna take us through some of the demands that we want moving forward? Yeah, so looking into the demands just to really give um, like more so steps on how agencies can work to increase their um, black and POC representation. One of them is for agencies to visit historically black colleges and universities to recruit new and top tier talent with a commitment to expand outreach beyond top 10 HBCUs. And so that's really important. Um, I myself went to a top 10 HBCU. I went to Hampton University. Um, and a lot of times we find that companies will continue to go to the Hamptons of the world, um, the Howards, um, Spelman, Morehouse. And while those are amazing schools, there are over 100 HBCUs with students who are waiting for an opportunity. And so we wanna make sure to kind of spread the wealth in that way. Um, additionally, we want to see companies develop a training program for black men and women and rotate participants in different sectors to find their specialty. So that really leans into cultivating black talent. You know, it's, it's one thing to have someone, you know, I guess at the table, but if you're not really helping them grow and, and, and giving them a space to, um, feel confident and feel like they can speak, then it, it's it's kind of pointless. Um, and then restructuring their agency if they have less than 30% of Black women slash men um, in POC and in executive roles, as well as developing, supporting, and funding more employee resource groups and affinity groups, because as we all know, it takes a village. 
um, creating policies to putting policies in place to ensure equal pay and then accountability to include black and POC led media publications and general outreach versus primarily multicultural programming. So I think we've all kind of seen it in our career, like we'll have, you know, our FM outlets and we'll have our Hispanic outlets and we'll have our LGBTQ outlets and we'll reach out to them maybe when we have talent who is black or um, we have a partner who is LGBTQ or it's Pride Month or something like that. But we want to make sure that those those outlets are in the conversation year round um, because, you know, black people like lifestyle too. Um, <laughs> and so we want to really make sure that we're we're, again, spreading that wealth and then for professional PR organizations to sponsor one to two award entries for Black-owned agencies to just help get that notoriety and, and kind of increase the equity within the industry. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I know that we worked on these demands together um, along with our other two co-founders who couldn't join us today, but shout out to Anoma Owens and Fatu Berry, other Black women in this industry who are working with us um, to, to create change. Um, and I think, um, while their voices aren't represented here today, um, I think it's important to note that, um, a lot of Black voices, not only are we not getting, um, making our way up throughout this industry and, and becoming the, the CMOs and the senior vice presidents and the vice presidents, a lot of times we don't even get into the industry. Um, I know Fatu has started her own agency, which is amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, my, she works at an agency similar to Anissa and I, but, um, we have so many friends who had big dreams of working at peer agencies when they came fresh out of college and just never got the opportunities. Um, myself personally, it took me, um, I didn't go straight into PR. Like I have wanted straight out of college. It actually, I, I went into marketing, then I went into social media and made my way back into PR probably three years into my career. Um, simply because even though I had the internships, I had had the networking opportunities, et cetera, I just was never able to break in. Um, and so I kind of want to hear Nisa a little bit, you know, you're a little younger than me. <laughs> I want to hear about your experience um, just coming out of college into this industry and, and representation and just everything like how did you what got you to this point um and how was how was your segue into this industry um been versus maybe some of your friends that you had uh studied with at at Hampton yeah no I I definitely agree um it's it's I see it every day um you know when I started at Hampton my my intro to journalism and communications class had over a hundred students um and I remember we all were talking and we we're like, we're going to be the next Olivia Pope and, you know, we're going to be on NBC and, and CNN and, and everyone was just like these bright eyed um, students excited to really just get their start. Um, and so, you know, as time dwindled and now as we've graduated, you know, I, I see so many of these same people who were the next Olivia Popes um, and, and they are not even working in the PR industry. Some of them are working in HR. Some of them are um in consulting and while those are great jobs I'm like bro like this is this wasn't your plan um and so I when I look back at my journey I, I'm really thankful for the pathways that have opened for me but I know that that is is not true for everyone so for me I started off my work history my intern history um at the Baltimore County Public Schools education channel and I was a technical intern doing video editing all day and I hated it um <laughs> 
And so I, I went back and then luckily um, one of my mentors while I was in school, her godmother had a connection um, to Dr. Rochelle Ford, who at that time was the head of PR over Syracuse. Um, and so she connected me with Taylor. And um, one big thing about my internship with Taylor, I remember the day that I, I got the internship and the first question that I asked was, is this paid? Um, and because if it wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to take the, the internship. I wouldn't have been able to come to New York. Um, and I think I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, you know, so many Black and, and um, POC students are unable to take internships in these big cities to kind of um, catapult their career. And so, um, you know, I feel like it holds them back because by the time you graduate, it's like, you know, where's your experience? You don't have PR experience. These companies are looking for like a Rolodex of experience and you either couldn't take the internships because you couldn't afford it or you couldn't afford um, to work somewhere that's say not paying you. Um, and, you know, you have to pay for books. I was one of those people. I, I was on scholarship. I paid for my own books. I paid for my rent. And so I, I had to have money. Um, and so I think that having the internship at Taylor and having that be paid was a, a, a big start to my career. And that was how I obviously ended up coming back to work at Taylor. Um, but some important parts of, I guess, in my journey to getting here, one, one story that I think about all the time, which is um, crazy, was I got a scholarship um, my freshman year. And I was, I was the youngest person to get it. And we had a scholarship convention weekend. And so we traveled to Chicago. And the scholarship was for minority students. Um, and they took us to a bunch of agencies and everything was kind of about like how the agencies like prioritize diversity um, and, and inclusion at their agencies. And I remember going to one agency um, and they sat you know, us down, a group of, of all POC students and they told us for over an hour how much they prioritize diversity, but everyone that was speaking to us was white. And I remember us all leaving and we were like, well, what the heck? Like, you know, how, like, how can you sit here and, and you tell us that, um, you know, you, you prioritize diversity and inclusion, but nobody, you know, that's actually working um, in, the, in the industry and on the client work looks like us. Um, and so, you know, similarly, when I had my first internship, I, I was the only um, Black intern at the time. And for me, stepping into a corporate space for the first time um, and me growing up, I think, you know, around, I always was around people who looked like me. And so it, it was very daunting. Um, but being able to, um, you know, see someone like you, Sade, um, who, you know, was doing the client work and, and looked like me, I think it gave me that idea, okay, this is what I can do. And it, it pushed me forward. Um, sorry, I'm kind of backtracking. But another thing that I, I remember about when I was in college was at one point, I had given up mm -hmm. um, before I had my internship at Taylor. And so I was like, well, I don't think I'll ever make it into PR. So I'm going to go to law school. And so I was so set on law school. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I remember like, while I had my internship at Taylor, I kind of had that revelation, like, I don't even want to do law school, but I'm doing that because I feel like that's my only option. Like, I have to have a, you know, set plan and, and something like that. So I think being at Taylor and seeing you in a place of, um, you know, working on the client work definitely helped me to kind of bring myself back and, and push my dream forward. And I remember after that internship being like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. 
I want to come back to New York. I want to be a PR pro, like kind of feeling like revitalized. And so I understand that that experience is not something that, you know, every black person has in this industry. In fact, most probably don't. And yeah. so I imagine if I had stepped into an office and I saw absolutely no one who looked like me um, doing the work that I was doing and, and how that could have completely derailed like the course of my career. That's crazy. And, and I think people talk about representation, representation, and, and it's a word, frankly, that white people probably hear all the time, but they, they probably don't quite understand what it means or what it means to us. Um, because um, similarly to you, Nisa, um, the, the senior, my senior year in college, um, I'll never forget spring 2011, um, I chose to take a spring break trip with my college of communications to new york city i'm from texas um by the way for those of you who don't know me and um so yeah we took a spring break trip and 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 it's there were so many things so many puzzle pieces that had to to fall together for me to even take that trip because the trip was twelve hundred dollars my parents couldn't pay for it um yes i was working um but uh i didn't have twelve hundred dollars i was a 17 or sorry not seven i was 21 years old I didn't have it. Um, and so I remember I came up with like about $500 and I went to my college of communications and um, I ended up getting sponsored for the rest of the trip. So that was like puzzle piece one. Perfect. Flew to New York, went to all these agencies um, with the program, nine different agencies. And I remember coming home or coming to my hotel room at the end of day one and, and breaking down because one of the agencies had a black PR person. And I remember to myself like wow i've been pursuing this pr career or this this degree for four years and i had never seen a black publicist um or pr practitioner and i have been pursuing this career and i don't and then looking back i can't tell you what made me want to pursue pr or why or whatever i just remember being in there and studying it but i had never seen someone do it and i remember even my parents kind of discouraging me being like why don't you be a pharmacist or a nurse because those are typically in the black community if we're being frank a lot of times we're pushed to be doctors lawyers nurses pharmacists or teachers because that's like what success looks like for us and i won't even say success but like that's that's kind of what our parents know and so or engineering and so um me pursuing communication my parents like you're wasting your time you're wasting your money you're not gonna be able to find a job but i was hell-bent on on becoming a, a publicist so i was happy when i came to new york city and i not only saw one but i ended up seeing five black um pr practitioners throughout that trip and i remember coming home from that trip being like mom i'm moving to new york city and she's like yeah yeah whatever and i was like no i'm serious after college i'm moving to new york city like i've been in texas pursuing this degree for four years paying all this money and I've never seen anyone that looks like me. So if I got to go to New York City to see someone that looks like me, that's where I'm going to go. Um, fast forward, I did end up moving, uh, I, not immediately after college, because, you know, cost. Um, but I ended up taking a job in, in Texas and then saving up money and then moving to New York City with no job. Um, and I gave myself three months to find a, a, another role, which I ended up doing, getting into PR, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, just kind of sticking to that representation thing. It's just so important. Like representation made me leave home what I knew for 21 years to a city where I knew one person in, in search of someone that looked like me doing what I wanted to spend the rest of 
I won't say the rest of my life, but a, rest of, a large majority of my life doing, which is, which is PR. Yeah, and I, I would even um, say, like, I think with representation, it's also, again, falling into that space of, like, your, vi- your village. So, you know, like, we never directly worked together um, until very, very recently. But, um, you know, there are so many things that go on, like, within our community, um, just little things, even, like, our hair. Like, you know, if I'm having a bad hair day, like, things that obviously, like, somebody who looks like me is going to immediately get, I don't have to explain it, I don't have to go into detail and, and you know, um, kind of fade the, like, the the questions, which questions are fine, but sometimes you just, you just want to get into the conversation, and so having someone who, you know, looks like you, understands it, I mean, I, we could get into a whole nother podcast on, like, microaggressions and what that means, um, you know, in, in agency life, but having someone where I can come and just say, like, girl, like, I've had a day, like, can we just talk? Can we go to get lunch? Like, you know, can we just talk about what's going on in the world? Like, it doesn't have to be so, um, you know, put together and, and math and meat. Like, I'm almost as if, like, you know, I'm faking it. And that's something I've really been thinking about and I've talked about a lot lately is, like, you know, as a, a Black person in agency, um, you know, you feel like you always have to be, like, on it, whether it be from your tone or like, you know, the, how you, like, because of course, like, you know, especially being a black woman, like there's going to be perceptions of you, biases towards you. And so, um, in a creative field where you're supposed to come to work every day, um, you know, being your true and authentic self, you're supposed to give it your all, have these amazing ideas that lead to amazing campaigns. Um, if you can't even be yourself because you're code switching or um, because, you know, you want to wear your afro that day, but you're kind of nervous about it. So you have to like throw a wig on and it. It's just it's it's kind of like fake and the fake person of you. It makes it hard for you to do your job. And so I think I, you know, I, I just said it yesterday, um, seeing like seeing you, Sade, um, and being your authentic self and and speaking in the office and and having a strong voice, I think encouraged me to come out of my shell I mean the girl who I was like when I did my internship three years ago and the girl who I am in the office now is is completely different but I think that you know I've grown so much as a professional when I've stopped you know worrying I guess about people's perception of me but again like I want to say like that is not the standard for the, the industry like when I talk to you know my peers who are working at other agencies that may not be, you know, on the path to diversity in the same way, like they, they, it's not the same. Like they, they can't, you know, go into the office and be themselves. And they're always worried about saying the wrong thing. And it's always watch your tone, fix your face, um, you know, wear, wear a wig, you know, <laughs> be like this, like, I guess, like model minority. And it, mm-hmm. I think, you know, once, the spaces are more diverse and, and we kind of work out like some of those biases and people are able to be who they are. Um, that's where black people and, and POCs will continue to flourish. Um, and that just brings me to another thought, um, similar to what we were talking about earlier, but it's, it's not enough to just, you know, like bring people to the table whenever, you know, you see these brands and, and they might have like a big, you know, like something happens, something blows up and everybody's like, dang, y'all didn't have one Black person in the room, and I always think about it, and I'm like, you know, there might have been a Black person in the room, but they may not have felt comfortable speaking up, or they may have spoken up, and people didn't take them seriously, people didn't hear their voice, and so it's like, 
it's not enough to just throw the, you know, the one diversity person in and only come to them when it's a diversity thing that you know is going to be a diversity thing, but you need to bring people in and make them feel comfortable to 100% be their, their real self in the office. Yeah. And I, and I kind of want to stop you there and, and talk a little bit about what is that like? Because what's really um, brought on our Hold the Press initiative is us seeing um, George Floyd literally die on our screens. And I feel like that's what, that's what jarred, you know, America to wake up and pay attention. But Nisa, you and I have talked, like we've been watching this and we, we grew up on this, you know, like protesting has been a part of who we've been as we've become adults in college and kind of start to learn and find our voices and stuff like that. You know, we can, we, we think back to Trayvon Martin, but what is that? I, we call it, um, I think it's called the black tax, but like, what is that like coming to work that Monday morning after? Um, sometimes you're met with silence. Most recently we've been met with lots of questions and, and, oh, can you do this? And can you do that? But can you talk a little bit more about what that feels like um, whenever we see someone who we probably, we, we don't know these, these men and women, but they look like our uncles. They look like our aunts. They look like our dads, our, uh, our brothers, our mothers. What is it like coming to work that Monday after, um, after something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you kind of touched on it. Like, it can go either way. So <laughs> um, in some cases, something happens in the community um, and nobody knows, um, you know, it's something that it might just be in the Black community. Um, and so you come to work and it's kind of like, you know, you're looking around, like, waiting for, like, the, like, the ball to drop, like, dang, like, y'all didn't hear about that, like, or, or y'all don't care, or, like, you know, what's going on, and so you kind of have to stifle those emotions, and I know, like, everybody's kind of been raised up on, like, professionalism, and you come to work, you, you know, you do your work, and you go home, you, like, leave that emotion, um, but I've definitely had days where I've, I've seen things, um, whether it be police brutality, whether it be, um, you know, just violence in, in the community in general, um, and I've literally held it in all day at work, and then got on the train and the waterworks flowed. And it's just like, it's, it's like pressure. It's, it's extreme, like, dang, like nobody really cares. And, and, you know, maybe people don't care, but maybe they, I mean, do care, but you know, they might just not be aware. Um, and so that's one end of it. And then I think the other end is a time like this, where, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what they should do. And like, um, so then people start asking you questions and everyone is texting you and everyone's asking you how you're doing and um, like, are you okay? What do you need? And it's kind of like, like, I know for me, like, I'm like, I don't know. I, I just need like five seconds to get my brain together. I don't want to be on this video right now. Like, I, I also don't want people to think that I'm like this like fragile, like glass that is going to break at any second. But I definitely want people to be mindful of where, um, you know, my mindset is. and then. I think even like when the conversations are being had in front of your face and maybe it's not the appropriate time to like jump in, but like, you know, people are saying things like, like in, in reference to, you know, the most recent stuff that's happened with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Matt Arbery, they're like, yeah, like these unprecedented times. And I've like said it, I'm like, like, it's just, these aren't, these aren't unprecedented. Like, this is not new. Um, or they're like, you know, should we say something? Should we not say something? I'm like, you know, if we're going to, to, you know, say that we are diverse and we're inclusive and, you know, everything like that, we have to speak up, you know, we have to speak up in a meaningful way, but it also shouldn't be that 
we're waiting until something like this happens and now it's like well we've never said nothing before so how do we speak up and it's authentic well that's what we've been trying to you know say for years um and i think that if you know like our industry um and in all industries were to just kind of like get more serious and more aggressive about making sure um you know you know, black people are, are being brought into these spaces, then, um, you know, it, it won't be that we have to wait until something crazy happens. And now it's like, well, how do we say this, you know, whatever. And then it's like, you know, like, Nisa, what are your thoughts on this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't speak for the whole black community. And I wish, you know, there were more people, you know, here, you know, that could talk and give different perspectives. So that's, you know, <laughs> how I feel about that. It can be daunting. Um, and, and sometimes it can just be strange. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I feel you. And um, I'm looking at the time now. We have about six minutes. So before we go, I really want to um, touch on perf performative allies, um, which I really feel like is what prompted us to even create the Hold the Press initiative, which again, if you're listening, check it out at www.holdthe-press.com. We're also on Instagram at hold the underscore press. Um, we'll be doing all of our updates on there. But yes, our initiative um, and performative allies. So um, I don't know about you, but after the George Floyd thing, yes, it, it obviously broke my heart. And I was just like, again, but um, it really kind of was like, um, I, I seen a meme and it was like, you know, since, you know, apparently black people just uh, became a thing like two weeks ago. Like, that's what it felt like, right? Like, everyone's like, whoa, racism. I can't believe it. And it's like, uh been living this but all right um thanks and you know they're posting black squares for blackout tuesday they're saying that they're they're standing in solidarity with solidarity with the black lives matter movement etc um and i know even me i've seen some places that i worked at in the past that were posting black squares and i know for a fact while i was working there i did not feel supported i did not feel heard they weren't hiring they weren't promoting people that look like me and so it's kind of like oh wow like that's what y'all are doing um, and so I think um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, people that were talking that talk, you know, a few weeks ago, what was it going to look like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year from now, two years from now. So I, I, I really want to um, explore that with the time that we have left um, and, and what performance allyship, not only what it looks like, what it feels like, but like why um, we are demanding honestly from our initiative that this is that we're not we're not here we're not here for that <laughs> we're not here for it at all yeah um you know it's it's kind of obvious when it's performative you know the people who just posted the black square hashtag blackout tuesday and then the next day they went back to their regularly scheduled programming um i think one important thing to know and it, it's something that i found interesting um you know we're not just saying this i mean obviously we want black people to to flourish in in this industry but it's also of importance to the next generation um so i pride myself on falling in the line between millennial and gen z but um you know there are a lot of statistics out there that gen z really values the ethics um and and like who, what a company stands for behind just you know a picture so you know gone are the days that you could like post like let's say the beauty community you could post like you know three different colored arms and have all the colored swatches on them and and that's it that's all you have to do like now you know this next generation is, is coming with a fire it's like okay well you know who who's on your your board who are your trustees you know we've seen all these 
these brands getting canceled um, because of like maybe their political affiliations or things that they've done in the past. And so, you know, it's, I think performative is you're just doing it in response to, um, there have been a lot of brands who kind of like how we said, I, I think they just woke up, you know, this month and realized that black people exist in our thing. And we're like, bruh, like you could like this product, you couldn't make this like, you know, maybe 50 years ago because it, it was necessary we we've been talking about it we've been we've been speaking and now it's just like because it's it's the trend and while you know I like to see people caring and I like the momentum of it it doesn't it's not a trend in the way that it's just trendy and then it moves on and let's just do performative things let's you know paint murals and let's write statements and let's keep it pushing if you're not employing black people at your businesses if you're saying you can't find black people um or or POCs um to be employed as your business then it's performative it's it's not that hard um the people are out there the the talent is out there and and they're waiting to be discovered but it's just that you haven't tried in my opinion um and again like how we said before it's not just hey like this company just hired this chief of diversity like you know black people while we're diverse like we have so much more to us we have thoughts we we can work on regular campaigns so if you're going to hire us as chief of anything like it doesn't have to just be diversity um you know you can hire us as like a president or you can hire us in the suite, the c suite and have us doing the client work and and being impactful so that's my main thing you know don't have never posted anything or, or cared about, um, you know, any of the issues before. And then you post your black square and then you go on and, and that's it, especially some of these brands that um, market very heavily to um, black consumers. Um, and, and, you know, they <laughs> might, you know, use us like in, in their pictures or, or use our, our um, vernacular on, on Twitter to, um, you know, make a funny tweet. But then it's like, okay, but everybody at your company, the person who wrote that tweet, you know, doesn't look like us. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. I feel like we could talk on this for hours, but um, thank you again, Nisa, so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed this conversation. And for all of you guys listening, please um, check out our initiative. We're not going to let this die. We're not going to let this momentum go away. Um, we would love for you to check it out and hold your agencies um, accountable, hold your moms, grandmas, et cetera. And again, that is, you can find more information at www.holdthe-press.com and on Instagram, um, hold the underscore press. Well, that wraps up this episode of Taylor Shapers of Influence. To learn more about what we do at Taylor, you can find us at taylorstrategy.com. Looking for more episodes of the podcast? Find us wherever you stream stuff. We're on iTunes and other major streaming platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Taylor Strategy. Thanks for stopping by and tuning in. Peace.